So let's jump in. This is Colossians. We're going through a uh, series on Colossians, the letter of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church and the believers at Colossae. We're in part four now. If you've missed those, feel free to go online. You can catch uh, the previous three parts to catch up. And so I'm going to jump right in. And uh, last week, um, I, I did have to actually cut out a few things. And so I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, but I want to start with uh, verse 27. So we're in uh, Acts chapter, excuse me, we're in Colossians chapter 1 still. Um, And so let's, let's look at, we're just finishing up uh, in, in chapter 1, and we're going to be moving on into chapter 2. But, and by the way, just keep in mind, none of these letters that were written, none of the books uh, in the Bible ever had chapter and verse. This is something that man has added on to it. So back when they said that they had to search the Scriptures, they, they truly had to search the Scriptures. And it's uh, kind of a shame that we... We don't have to search scriptures anymore because I think we would be much more familiar with scripture if we had to search more. But uh, when the chapters and verses were added, um, that does make it a little bit easier to, uh, to to refer to things. But the danger in that is to kind of pluck a verse out of context, and you really have to be careful with that. But to help us uh, keep along, uh, we're we're looking at about uh, verse twenty-seven here. That's verse twenty-seven on the screen. So let's read it together. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to read this again. Again, this is Paul writing from prison to the believers in Colossae. He has not been there himself. This is a a report he's receiving through Epaphras, uh, a faithful servant of the Lord who helped uh, it was likely the one who preached the message and gospel of Christ there and started this church in Colossae. So he is receiving this report, writing this letter to them, not only to encourage them, but to uh, also address some things that were going on. And this verse right here uh, is, there's a lot of substance here, and I just want to dig in a little bit. Let's read it again. To them, Paul is saying, to them, talking about God's people, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, remember Gentiles would be anyone who's not a Jew, any non-Hebrew nation would be, so we would be Gentiles, so everyone but the people of Israel. So, made known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? And we see this word mystery being mentioned a lot by Paul especially, and we see it throughout the New Testament, and this mystery of which he speaks is this right here, Christ in you. That is the hope of glory in us, is that Christ is in us. Christ in you. That is this mystery that not only was revealed to the people of Israel and the believers and the followers of Christ who, who were at the temple and experienced the, the Holy Spirit coming down on them, but now as we're going to see here, this is also the mystery that's being shown and, and poured out upon 
the Gentile believers as well. So I want to look at a few examples of that so we have a clear picture of what Paul is referring to here when he says this mystery, which is Christ in you. So we see the first evidence of this soon after this day of Pentecost where the promised gift of the Holy Spirit was then poured out upon the Christ followers. And this was a promised gift. As you remember, we talked about that Jesus said would come after he had gone to be with the Father. His resur- the res- resurrected Christ had ascended to be the right hand of the Father. He said he would send another, and this, this other would come alongside us, and he would be our advocate. He would be the one who would take the place of Jesus being here on, in bodily form, and he would stay with us. And Jesus promised this and said it was the promise of the Father, but he had to ascend and then receive that promised gift to then be poured out on the believers. And we see that happening on the day of Pentecost. He said, do not leave this city until you have received or have been endued with power from on high, meaning this advocate I am sending will not only uh, come to be with you, but he's going to endue you. He's going to clothe you with power. And this is the power that they are going to need to be able to accomplish and even start this mission that has been put upon them, which is to go out and make disciples of all nations. Huge, huge, huge task, as it still is even today. So the first glimpse of this is when uh, Philip, one of the one of the followers, one of the you remember Philip was one of the ones who was a, a deacon, if you will. He helped take take, uh, take care of the food program and stuff, but he after having received the Holy Spirit and power, went out and it said he went to the people of Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were not, they were half Jew, half Gentile. So it was God's uh, people uh, of Israel who had uh, mixed with the Assyrians uh, during a time of exile and the, the, the generations that came from that. So they were considered... Um, you know, not Jews. They were not accepted by the Jews. They were kind of outcasts. And so the people of Samaria or the Samaritan, that's why when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, it gives you a lot more meaning to it when you realize this Samaritan of which they're, they're speaking is a despised person or a person that the Jewish people would, would not associate with. And we see that it says in Scripture, when John, you remember in John, when Jesus is talking to the woman of the well, at the well, and the woman at the well is saying, um, you know, he's talking about where, where is the right place to worship, and where is the Messiah going to come, because you people, you Jews, don't have any dealings with us. And she wanted to talk about that, but you see glimpses of how the Jewish people treated or thought about the Samaritans or the people of Samaria. So we see this, this first example there in Samaria, and Philip goes to Samaria and preaches Christ. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And you, if you are familiar with this story, uh, the people hear him. But not only that, he was performing incredible uh, acts of power, casting out demons. He was healing people, healing the sick. He was doing amazing things, and the people 
It says, believed his message, the message about Jesus Christ. And it says that they were baptized then in water. And a few, uh, a little while after that, then Peter and John came to lay hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we see that first glimpse of this mystery, which is Christ in you. First, it was shown as that initial time with the, um, with the people of the, the Jewish people who have been followers of Christ in the temple on the day of Pentecost. Now we see it's not restricted to them. It's going to these Samaritan people who aren't even accepted as Jewish people, and the promised gift is being poured out on them. Quite significant. So there's the first glimpse of this mystery of which Paul is referring Christ in you. Now, a little further in Acts, we see the the same promised gift of the Holy Spirit now being poured out upon a Roman officer and his entire household, all of them being Gentiles. They were not, not even half Jew. These were Gentiles. He was a, an officer in the, in the Roman army, and it refers to him as a centurion, which means I think it's around 80 uh, soldiers under him, something like that. A very important man, but Scripture talks about him as being a godly man who revered the Lord and gave, uh, was very generous, and he, he was a devout believer in God, but he had not heard this message yet. And this is an incredible account that I actually want to read because this is, this is, again, a furthering of what Paul is talking about here is the mystery, which is Christ in you. And this is, so this is Peter, excuse me, yes, Peter. This is Peter having received a vision from the Lord about going to uh, Joppa. Well, he's in Joppa, actually. He's going to go to this man's... Well, you're going to read, you're going to read about it. It's a Gentile believer, and he goes into his home, and he preaches this message. Now, that is a no-no for the Jewish people, because Gentiles are considered unclean. They're considered common, unclean. They were not to go into their homes, not to uh, sup with them and, and dine with them. It, it just was not for them to do that, and... and Peter did this, but you're going to see why he did that. So when he had, all of this has happened, he had gone back. And the Jewish believers, uh, these are believers, but Jewish complained. They had a a complaint about, you know, what are you doing? Why why did you do that? And this is now Peter giving his report and explaining that to the Jewish believers. Now the apostles and the brothers, when it says brothers, talking about those Jewish brothers, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, let's say the Jewish believers is what it's referring to, the circumcised, meaning the Jewish people, the Jewish party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. In other words, you went to a Gentile home and ate with these people. But Peter 
began, explain, began and explained it to them in order. And here, his, here is his account. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheep, a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So this is, these are animals of which the Jewish people were not allowed to eat. Um, so they would, you would see this in the Old Testament. These were the animals they were not to eat. And this voice says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, Peter says, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. In other words, no distinction of the fact that they're Gentiles rather than Jews. These six brothers also, these six brothers, Jewish believers who were with him, also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say. So he's saying, Cornelius, this Roman officer, is now telling Peter what happened to him. So an angel had appeared to him, and he's uh, talking about that now. And the angel said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, so this is Peter again, as I be, so he came to their home, and as he began to speak, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as, now catch this, just as on us at the beginning, referring to that event at Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with with the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' words. Peter says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, talking about the Jewish believers, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this is another glimpse of this mystery that Paul is referring to, which is Christ in you. And we see another event recorded in Acts. This is way later, probably 20 years or so later in Acts 19. And this is when uh, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and he gets to Ephesus and he runs into some believers there. These are believers, but they needed uh, some more teaching. But Paul runs into them and he notices something is, is 
off. Something's not what it should be. And so he asked them a question, and he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, did you receive this promised gift that was promised to not only the Jewish people, but now to the Gentiles and all people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It is a gift that was promised to all believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they were not aware of this gift or this uh, of this new event of people receiving the Holy Spirit, and so they, they had not. So, so Peter backed up a little bit with them, probably did some further teaching. He, had, he baptized them in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then it says that he laid his hands on them and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and you see um, the outcome of that. They were praising God, prophesying, speaking in unknown language, that type of thing. So we see that's another example, again, 20 or something years later. So clearly this was the pattern for New Testament believers and the new birth of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing this message, this good news message about Him, and... Uh, well, first, if we, if we count out, we're going to repent from our sins, turning to God, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, being baptized in water, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. These things are throughout the book of Acts. Now, Christ in us, Christ in us is the Spirit of Christ in us. This is known as the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in us, and we are in Him. When you see the words in Christ, which you see throughout the New Testament, to be in Christ is to be in His Spirit. In the Spirit of God is to be in Christ. And for Christ to be in you is for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, to be in you and you in Him. And you and God the Father as well. It's just this incredible thing that we can't quite understand, but this is what it's referring to. Let's take a look at Romans 8. This is Paul, again, writing a letter to a church he had not yet visited. But Paul is laying out some things concerning this. And here's what Paul says in Romans. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Paul in this letter, in this passage especially, is always comparing the difference between life in the Spirit compared to life following the law of Moses. Okay, so he's comparing these two. For God has done what the law, the law of Moses, weakened by the flesh or our sinful nature, could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Remember, talked about in the flesh. Jesus came and he was in the flesh. And for sin, he took upon himself our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh or the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh or sinful nature set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, now remember, he's talking to a church he's not visited yet. He's writing this to the believers in Rome. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, listen to this, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit as what we see him just saying, the Spirit of God, now he refers to the same Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him, God, who raised Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The, the promised Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It is, He is the Spirit of Christ. The, the Trinity is a doctrine we're never going to wrap our minds around, so let's not even try to, to do that. But it's, it's, this is a glimpse of, of it. And the mystery of which Paul speaks is this, Christ in us. And the way that that happens is through the Spirit of Christ. Where is Jesus Christ in bodily form? He is at the right hand of the Father. He is in heaven at the right hand of God. Until, until what? Until his return. Oh, I can't wait. Until his return where he will come back in bodily form like he was here before, but in his resurrected body and with fire in his eyes and a sword from his mouth, he's going to be quite, quite the, the, the sight. But he will come back when that time comes and we don't know when that will be. But until then, he has sent another The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the, the comforter, the one who comes with strength to be with us, but not only with us, but to be in us. The difference of with us and in us is, is pretty significant. The disciples who were following Jesus, it says that the Spirit was with them, and they had this authority because of Jesus being there in bodily form and the Spirit being with them. But when Jesus was being was ascending to be with God. He said, don't leave this city until I have sent the promise, other one, the Holy Spirit, who will then be in you. Christ will then be in us, and we will be in Christ. And that's where we need to stay, is in Christ, and we need to stay with Christ in us. That is the mystery of which Paul is referring, Christ in you the hope of glory. It's a beautiful thing. It's incredible. 
And he talks a lot about that in, in that, those passages of, in, in Romans. All right, so let's move along you know, back to Colossians, looking at verse 28 and 29. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, Him being Christ, of course, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Don't miss that. His energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, to to proclaim Christ and the good news about him, we must also proclaim the reason that he came, the, the reason why we need to believe in him. Why did we need a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? Why do we need to repent? Listen, the grace and mercy of God is meaningless unless people understand the reason why we need grace and mercy. So, you know, when I mentioned earlier about you don't see in any of the book, in the book of Acts, which is an account of the, how the New Testament church was being birthed and started and going out, you don't see them preaching the love of God. Now, it doesn't mean that God is not love. God is love. But they did not lead by preaching about God's love because of this right here, unless you understand why you need a Savior and why you need God's grace you're not going to have much of a need for a Savior, for grace. And, and that's what we see a lot of times today in the way um, we, may, we may speak or evangelize to others. This is why to proclaim Christ by simply saying, God loves you, Jesus loves you, can totally miss the mark. Now, there are plenty, hear me, hear me now, there are plenty of circumstances where this is what a person needs to hear. They already know they're wretched. They are, they are dying, and they know their, their situation. They already know that they, they really need rescuing. And, and to those to hear that there's a God who loves them who has already taken care of the dilemma that you are in. He's already provided a way for you to escape from that. There are plenty of situations where that is the message we need to bring. But we also need to pay attention to Scripture as our model, as our example. And when you see in in the New Testament The writers talking about God's love, most of the time, they are talking to believers who can appreciate God's love because they have been redeemed out of the muck and the mire. They know from which they have come and how he has saved them and the grace and mercy he has extended to them. But if someone doesn't even know about righteousness and the need for holiness and what sin is, 
why are they going to think that they need a savior? And so t- telling them about God's love, it's just kind of, it, that's what Jesus refers to is taking a, a pearl and casting it to the, to the swine. It's just not, it's a wasted, it can be a wasted message. It's not always. And this is why we need discernment. This is why we need to be led by the Spirit as to what they need to hear, the message that they need to hear. But let's, let's look at just a few examples, uh, and we'll take, let's start with Jesus <clears throat> and how he would refer to um, some of this. So all of you, most of you, many of you will know John 3.16, very, very well-known verse. John 3.16 is often quoted, and that is a verse that talks about God's love. God loved the world. But mo- many people don't pay much attention to John 3, 14, and 15. And so if you're going to pluck a verse out of context, it's dangerous unless you know kind of what the context is. So if we look at the context, we can see what Jesus had just said, because you don't want to read John 3, 16, especially to an unbeliever who doesn't, he doesn't understand why, why would, why would God give his son, and why, why was this even needed, unless we can then also explain what Jesus says in John 3, 14 and 15. So let's look at it. This is what Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus, who is a very um, knowing and uh, religious leader. He says to him, and as Moses lifted up, this is Jesus talking, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The next verse would be John 3, 16. So in this verse, when Jesus refers to, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. He didn't have to have that explained to him at all. He knew the Old Testament, and he knew this story and what this was all about. So let's take a look at what this story is all about. If you go back to Numbers in chapter 21, starting verse 4, here's what it says about that event. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient. This is God's people. The people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord, listen, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This 
is what Jesus, the story to which, the scriptures to which Jesus is referring. So we should not be sharing John 3.16 without also helping a person understand the situation. We, we have been bitten by poisonous snakes in this world. Sin being the one that will definitely lead to death. Our sins, we will perish in our sins. And unless the world or people understand that, why are they going to think they need a Savior? You can tell them God loves them all they want. They're going to say, great. That's nice. But why is that important? And as Jesus points out, it's because there's a reason why you need to know that God loved you so much that he sent a a solution, a redeemer, a sacrifice for your sins. You are dying in your sins, and God has, in his grace and mercy, has provided a way for you to have life and not to perish. Jesus was clear when he spoke to Nicodemus even to make sure Nicodemus understood the the relation. And so we should be careful that if we're going to talk about God so loved the world, we need to make sure we explain why that is significant, that he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. It's because you are dying in your sins. We are dying in our sins. That is what we deserve. And that is what will happen except for the fact that God extended mercy and grace towards us by giving his only son. So that if we look upon him, if we believe in him, then we can, we can live and be free from the snake bite of sin, so to speak. Another example is with Paul. So Paul, as you know, was appointed to go out and preach this mystery, this good news to the, to, to the Gentiles. And so he's going out and doing this. And so we can, walk, we can look at Paul to get a great example of what it should look like as we go out to evangelize to the unbelieving. And again, there's, 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 we need to be led by the Spirit in how we talk to people in sharing the good news, but we also we need to pay attention to how it was done in the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 24, here's an example. This is Paul having the opportunity to speak to a Roman governor named Felix. And here is what Scripture says that he says to Felix. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he, as in Paul, as he, Paul, reasoned about, listen to what he talked to Felix about, righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. And it says, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Unfortunately, Felix, he, he was so blinded, he never did believe in the truth. He kept waiting for bribes to come from, from Paul while he was in prison, and he, and he died, um, not 
believing in this message. But my point in this is Paul has this opportunity to speak to a Roman governor to present the gospel message to him, the good news. Paul does not go to Felix and says, Felix, God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. That's not what he says. I'm not saying that's never what we say, but if we look at Scripture and we need to pay attention to Scripture, we don't see that throughout the the whole 30, 20, 20, 30 years of the book of Acts as the church is starting. Paul talks about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Those will alarm people to think about, where am I? What's my standing with God? Maybe I need a rescuer, a savior, a redeemer. Because without understanding and knowing about righteousness, the need for self-control, the, the coming judgment, most people aren't really going to care, God loves me or not, because there's not a problem to begin with. Another example is with Paul when he speaks boldly to King Agrippa and has the opportunity to stand before King Agrippa and present a much more lengthy uh, account of also his encounter with Jesus Christ himself. So he reflects on that, and I want you to see what he says in this passage. So Paul, talking to King Agrippa, says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, he was out trying to take prisoner, take captive these these Christians and persecuting them and coming against them. So that's what he's talking about. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And we remember, see that with Stephen, when he held the coats and he was all a part of Stephen's stoning. And I punished them often, in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me, and those who journeyed with me And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. We talked about when, when the church is persecuted, Jesus says, that's persecuting me. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for the purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness 
of sins and place among and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And he breaks out of his storytelling. He says, therefore, King, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But I, listen, this is what he has done for the last 20 to 30 years. But I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. (laughs) That was Paul's evangelistic message. That was his good news message to all he encountered and to whom he preached. This is our blueprint, if you will. If we are going to speak to the, to the unbelieving world, we need to be clear about how this message should be presented to them. Now, that's a much more difficult evangelistic message. It is much easier to tell people, hey, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And go along our way. Now, I make light of that. Listen, hear me. Hear me. The reason I tend to highlight and underline these things is because I've seen this get off balance. All we talk about, it seems sometimes, is God's love. God's love, God's love, God's love. So why does it surprise us when we have those who are living a homosexual lifestyle that is forbidden in Scripture, and they say, God loves me. God doesn't have a problem with this. This is, this is fine. God is a God of love. When we preach only, only the, the message and the character of God as being love, and we don't balance that with also the other characters of God, such as righteousness or holiness or justice, if we don't keep that in balance, that's what will happen. So we must keep this in balance. We must pay attention to Scripture and understand how the good news was presented. It's good news because it will save you from the the oncoming death and judgment that is coming. And and if you read throughout Scripture, especially in Revelations, you see there, there is no mincing of words of what's coming. So why would we want to hold back about that to the detriment of those who are hearing our words? Why hold that back and, and then them risk not being worried about anything? God is love and go on about their way and their, and their path and their choices and their lifestyles and then be surprised by the one who is coming, who is called Jesus, the King. And this time he's not coming as the Redeemer and Savior of the world. He's coming to judge the world. We cannot allow people of this world not to hear the truth of the good news, all of it, the balanced truth. So let's, let's be balanced about it again. What I am not saying is God is not love. What I am saying is let's pay attention to how God was presented in Scripture, in the New Testament church. Let's make sure we're remaining balanced in our uh, presentation of the good news of why people need a Savior. Because without knowing the reason why they need a Savior, grace and mercy means nothing. 
So the New Testament is full of warnings and teachings. And that's what we saw in this verse here that Paul uh, and Paul, Paul's letters are no exception to this. He writes plenty of warnings and teachings. And the reason, as it says here, not there, sorry. The reason, as it says in that verse, was to present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says he toils in that in trying to present the people that God sends to him or that he goes to and, and he has um, preached the good news and they've received it. He then is trying to make them mature in Christ. by, And he's doing that by visiting in person and by writing letters. And he struggles for this. But he says that the energy to do this comes from God. And through, it's through the Holy Spirit that this energy comes. God is powerfully working in him, and he will work in us through his Holy Spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit was sent, not only to... to it was the Holy Spirit was sent so that we could know how to live and have the power to live that way and have the power to go out and take this message. Listen, one thing I can tell you for sure. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on you, whatever situation, whenever in life, and it can happen more than one time, but when you encounter God in a real way where he pours his spirit out on you, things are going to happen. You are going to, you are not going to just do nothing with that because it is God working in you. As, as Paul was talking about, how he powerfully works in him to do what he's doing. That is what will happen when we are inhabited and filled with the Spirit of God. That's, that's what Jesus was referring to, that you would be endued with power. The disciples before that time when Jesus was there, before he had ascended and poured his Holy Spirit out on them, they, were, they had authority. But after the Holy Spirit came, they had authority and power to go out boldly and to preach this message. If we are not seeking God and thirsting for His Spirit to come and fill us for the purpose of receiving power and boldness, we are going to cave under the pressure of this world. If you think that things have gotten hard now, this is nothing. But that's why this is so essential this mystery of Christ in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, it means everything because He will not only be making us holy from the inside out so that at, on that day we will even look like Christ, but He is also giving us the power and working that power in us so that we will have what we need to go out and preach this message and share this gospel and bring others to a saving relationship and understanding of who he is. We need this. This, this, is, this is not a... I mean, I guess it can be. If, if you never thirst 
for God and for his gift. If you never are seeking that, and then, then it's likely you, you, he's not going to pour more of his spirit onto you. That would be kind of a waste. You're not even wanting it. But we are not going to be effective apart from the spirit of Christ in us working through us. We're not going to be effective. So if we want to be effective and we want the rest of our years on this earth to make a difference and to matter, and we want to be useful to the Lord while we are here, we need his spirit working in us. We need to thirst for him. We need to ask. We need to knock seek and keep on doing so until he has endued us with the power we need to carry out the task he has given you. And there will be many. You will complete one and he will give you another. Every task he gives to you, he is willing to give you the power and the equipping that you need to carry it out. But if we're not asking for tasks, assignments, and the power to do them, Listen, Jesus didn't even bother at the, at the towns that didn't want him, didn't believe in him. He did not bother. And Jesus will, will pour out his blessing on those who are thirsting for it. We need to become a people who thirst for God. We've become way too self-reliant that we can do this without him. And we, we can appear to do things without him, but it is not effective. Not to the extent that it can be. All right, I'm going to end right there. So as we go through this book, my endings are going to be abrupt. <laughs> but that's all right. That was good stuff. I got m There's more great stuff to go, uh, to, to come. So um, let's pray that the Lord seals this into us. Father, thank you so much for what we were able to see uh, in your word, in your truth and God, whatever is uh, not of you, God, I ask that it just fall to the ground and shrivel up and go away. But if these words and these things that were spoken is your truth, and you want it to go forth and produce and, and accomplish what you want it to accomplish and not return void, I ask that you would do that. You would breathe life into these words. May they uh, plant deep in our hearts and in our minds, and may they produce fruit and passion and thirsting and longing for more of you in order for us to carry out the mission you have for us on this earth. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.